Coach Edelstein here, your celeb expert and your celeb savant. Celeb Savant is a weekly entertainment show. We have long-form career retrospective type interviews with celebrities, singers, actors, and industry experts. On this episode of Celeb Savant, I'll be speaking to Joe Sumner. Joe is an English singer-songwriter from the UK, and he and his father Sting were recently in South Africa as part of their world tour, Joe being the opening act. I interviewed Joe shortly before they were about to go on stage, and I had yet to receive media accreditation for the shows because it goes through a cycle of different media outlets receiving for different shows. I mentioned to Joe that unfortunately I could not be there because uh, for this specific concert I did not get accreditation. He put me on the list and there I was watching Joe Sumner and Sting from the sound desk at the concert. What an amazing experience. Thank you, Joe. But for now, on this episode of Celeb Savant, we've got Joe Sumner. Where do we find you in the world? How are you doing and what's happening in your life? I am in Johannesburg and I'm very happy. This is the first time I've been to South Africa. Oh, wow. I spent five days in Cape Town. I've spent three days now in, in Joburg and Pretoria and things are going fantastically. I'm just um, farting around on tour. To be honest, this year so far has mostly been holiday because of the insane travel distances between shows. Yeah. We get two, even three days off sometimes between shows. So, uh, yeah, lots of sightseeing. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> and what are your thoughts of South Africa? I used to call the States a land of contrasts, but it is even more so. Like unbelievable natural beauty. Food is amazing. Extreme wealth inequalities yeah all kinds of crazy politics yes everyone's been lovely i don't know it's 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 completely overwhelming it's been a, a feast for all parts of my brain and body let's rewind all the way back to the beginning of your music career so the hybrid version or non-hybrid version of the joe sumner musical career <laughs> joe sumner musical career yes. well i was born um my um I had some musicians on my mum's side of my family, but obviously my dad was a very successful musician. Yeah. So I spent the whole of my childhood despising music and all things oh, really? connected okay. with because it's just like, you know, the thing your dad does. Can he it's either the thing you want to do or it's the opposite of that. Yeah. So for me, as a kid, I found it very cringy yep. um to make music and to sing and stuff. But I secretly um I was addicted to video games. Yes. So I spent much of my time listening to the music of video games and sort of getting into it that way and learning about melodies and chords and learning about it that way rather than from the perspective of performers. Yeah. Um, and then I, I took guitar lessons when I was 10. I don't know why I took them, but I just was like, I should take guitar lessons. And I remember doing one performance in the, the class. You know, there was 10 people sitting around and I was so nervous and shaky and i just it was playing a very simple melody on one string and i completely messed it up and it was rubbish <laughs> then so then a few years later uh, i heard smells like teen spirit by nirvana and i was instantly in a band and obsessed with it and working every day at getting good at guitar and i was a singer and that was it it literally was overnight do you perceive that if your father or your family or extended family were not in the industry that you would have landed up in this industry at the end, even though you despise it as a child? Who knows, man? I think, you know, it definitely opens the idea that you can do that as a job. Yeah. 
So, if you know, if you don't see anybody doing a certain thing, then it's hard to imagine it. Yeah, so I, I don't know. But probably if no one was doing music around me, I probably wouldn't have understood that that was a, an idea of a thing you could do. Who knows? Your creative process from zero to a three to four minute song. Is it easy? What motivates you to write? All those different elements of your creative journey. Right. Well, it's super easy when it happens. Uh, <laughs> it's So for me, the creative process is mostly about getting out of my own way and allowing something to happen and believing that at the end of whatever, a period of time, I'll have created something worth creating and that's a good idea and I shouldn't worry about it too much. In, the, in between those two things is just a sense of what's the point of this? Is it any good? What's happening? I could spend three years writing a song, worrying about each line. When I've got myself into the right kind of vibe and I'm just like, all right, I'm going to allow things to happen. I'm going to allow inspiration to come to me and I'm going to be gentle with it in the beginning. You know, it can take five minutes to write a three-minute song. So it's really about finding that creative space um, and also just saying, I'm going to do this today. Um, I don't know if you've read that book, The War of Art. Yeah, The War of Art by, I think it's Thomas Pressfield. And he's a writer, he's an author. And he just basically says, every day you just write and that's it. And you don't take any judgment. You don't have any kind of idea of this. Is this good or bad? Is this really me? Is this what I'm really thinking? You just do it. And then at the end of it, you know, six months later, you can look at it and say, wow, that's really good, actually. Or it's no good. And either one doesn't really matter. So it's for me, it's a lot of mind games. I was just going to say the mind playing games, bringing in doubt. And how long did it take you to get to the point where you got out of your own way? Did it take you many years or was it a process of, okay, a few months? I realize now I'm doubting myself. I'm doubting the lines. Get out my own way. Was that a long journey to achieve that? It's well, it's a continual journey. It's a, Uh, you know, yeah. I think, you know, most artists have a period where they figured that out completely and then then what gets in your way is the work you've already done the way that people think about you the way you think about yourself all of that stuff suddenly weighs on you and you have to kind of do something to get back into that childlike state of wonder and allowing creative stuff to happen if you have okay you've written a song everybody loves it everybody's freaking out you want that feeling again if people don't like the next one it's very it's hard to um it's hard to handle that so you'll try and avoid that happening <laughs> and you know that can mean going away and working really hard and just getting it right but i think a lot of times for a lot of people and i've, I've certainly been through this it's overthinking and just worrying and getting a bit tense and stiff and not having that same feeling and not having that same joy about creating so it's it's a continual process it was at the times in my life when i felt that you know that goldilocks sensation of being not too hard harsh with myself and not too gentle and just getting stuff done and not judging it and then but still being able to kind of stand up behind my own opinions it's it happens and then it it goes you can ask any great songwriter they can write 100 songs a year and you're only going to have you know who who makes the most hits ever i don't know you know prince or pharrell like you're still going to write a bunch of duds in that time yeah, I totally agree. Like I was giggling and smiling as you're talking because I'm so harsh on myself in a different way. Like if I don't hear from someone or if there's a 
there's an element to like, oh, what have I done wrong? And I, my mind goes to the worst case scenarios of all the things that I might have said or not said or not done or not done. And I start this whole chaos in my brain and my mind. And I'm like, oh, just stop. <laughs> just stop. <Yeah>. Just <laughs> let it go. Be free. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's a continual journey. And I, I still struggle with that. Do you ever write and collaborate with your father? Um, well, I'm collaborating right now. I'm on tour with my dad yes. right yeah. now um, for a few reasons. One, the major reason is that it's a great opportunity. Obviously, I get to play for people and be around fantastic musicians and everything's kind of set up. Um, and also in these days of COVID and post-COVID, touring is really hard for anyone unless you have the full uh, enchilada in terms of the touring apparatus and insurance and stuff. You just It's really become incredibly difficult. So I'm piggybacking on that. Um, we sing together a little bit during the show. I do I do a guest spot. Um, I sing King of Pain with him. Um, but we haven't really collaborated writing wise. I think it's um, there's maybe too much um, similar territory that we tend to cover mm -hmm. and think about certain things in similar ways where, okay. you know, for me in my life, it's a, a lot of what I'm looking for is some territory that he hasn't already covered. So, so I tend to squirrel myself away and, uh, you know, try and find something different. I suppose, yeah, because then if you share those songs that you've written or with him as a point of opinion, it's already then again creating that concept, well, am I then going in his sort of, not shadows, I don't want to put that, but am I creating something that he's already done? And then by separating yourself completely out of that, you're allowing your own energy and creativity to come through and letting it shine, basically. Yeah, that's the idea. But in reality, it's, you know, we all live in, yeah, let's say, we all live in the context of everyone else we know and who, yeah. who we really are and who we actually know. So it's a little bit of um, wish thinking that I can just actually totally escape. Yeah. Um, although that would be that would be my ideal. <laughs> I would just I would just be some kind of like incredible light force beaming down from space and you know it would just be pure creativity and amazing but you know we're humans so yeah. that's uh dream on buddy yeah the ego the brain and the thinking kicks in <laughs> yes <laughs> previously we had as um vinyl cassettes cds they're all making a comeback, which I'm extremely grateful for. I don't know if you know that last year, vinyls in the UK had the most sales since 1990. Uh, CDs making yes. a comeback, et cetera, et cetera. But we've got these digital platforms. I love me a CD. I always budget for my CD. I want the, uh, the images. I want the song words. I want the aesthetic. It's a way I say thank you to you guys for creating and your hard work. What are your perceptions of the way people are consuming music now compared to what they did previously in the physical platform world? Yeah. Well, so I'll tell you from my own experience, I can't yes. speak for everyone else, but yeah. I do find it hard to contextualize the songs or feel I need something more around them. I, I remember the days when I was really buying CDs. Sometimes I buy the tape and the CD because there was different things like the, you know, the vinyl or the tape has two different sides. Yes. Yeah. Where does that end? Where does the first act end and the second act begin? Like that's really interesting. And then there's the physical, the physical nature of it. And you had to go and get it. You had to seek yes. it out or you could hear it on the radio possibly if it was, you know, 
a commercial band, right? Or or if it was one of your indie underground bands that you never find anywhere, you had to you really physically had to go there. You had to know someone who had seen them or something like that. So all of that context is now missing for me, for my generation. And that's I find it hard because it just there's so much music. It's a sea of just whatever. I can't even I can't even tell what's going on. Um, I do find a lot of people saying things like, you know, music used to be great and now it's rubbish. Mm-hmm. And I think that's completely wrong. I think what what has been lost is a place where we all get together and know all the same songs. Yeah. I find it really easy actually to miss the big international mega hits because I'm not I'm just not I'm not listening to it. I can I can live in my own sort of sequestered away world and not hear what was that song about five years ago? Despacito? Yes, yes. Uh, yeah okay i didn't hear it i think it's 2017 i had not heard it and everyone's like oh i'm so sick of that song i've never heard it because i just was you know i was on uh sort of more obscure worlds and just listening to other stuff because yeah. there was no place for me where i had to go and hear that stuff and you know people say oh there was the punk scene and there was the disco and there was new wave and it was all this and all that all that stuff is happening in music people are making incredible uh work in all those genres today in their bedrooms at an incredibly high standard with like fantastic production values, fantastic lyrics. It's all incredible. Um, but there's not really one place where we all go there to see it as much. Yeah. It's just, it's more splintered. It's, it's, that's the tricky thing. And I find myself personally a bit lost in it. Like the, the way that I get to understand a band really is to see them live. Okay. Yeah, it is because that whole, ex- as you mentioned, that whole journey, that whole experience of like, okay, I'm going to the store, I'm ordering online and I'm going to choose these CDs and getting the package and ripping it open or the vinyl, seeing the booklets, that whole experience of playing it from one to 10 or one to 15. And now the the whole thing of having, you know, the generation of MTV. Now there's no, there's no music videos in MTV more anymore. It's just reality shows. There's no VH1. I completely get what you're saying. And each person has their playlist sent to them in their world, in their space. And there's not that shared experience. I completely, yeah, yeah, completely get, but I'm still that one. My CDs, I still get them. Good for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> completely i love but I, everyone's like well, why are you buying cds but like i find that the digital platforms has actually in inverted commas has and i don't like the word cheapen because you guys put a lot of money and a lot of hard work but it's cheapened the entertainment industry because everyone expects now music to be for free and if a song comes on <clears> they don't like it, it's just like ah, we'll just skip it or fast forward or that where when you bought the tape or cd or vinyl it was an investment of like okay, I'm going to buy this whole collection and I'm going to invest time and energy into it and say thank you to the artists for the energy that they put into it. Sorry, I just want to push back on that a little bit. Yes. In that it was, I think, when you know Napster and came yes. in and kind of disrupted all of that. Part of me said, F you guys, you're stealing the music. The other part of me kind of said, there have been way too many albums made with one or two good songs and a bunch of crap afterwards okay um because so i've i feel like it's it's not just desserts but it's a bit of revenge for the triumph of marketing over artistry i get i hear what you're saying (laughs) i hear what you're saying (laughs) good good debate good discussion (laughs) and what do you enjoy about performing live well i really like that there's just no choice but to do the show that's my main my main joy in it Mm -hmm. is it's you know 
it's 8 p.m., it's 9 p.m., you're going to play for an hour and a half and everyone's watching you and you just have to do it. I find that to be very liberating. So we talked earlier about getting inside your head and stuff. And I'm like, well, no matter what I think right now, if I'm not ready, I'm not good enough, or the, the lyrics need to be changed, whatever. It's time. you got to go. you got to do it. It's very liberating. And I find I can just let loose and I can create. And I really enjoy that. Um, and then obviously the feedback, having people appreciate what you're doing. Mm-hmm. It feels like it's really the true, uh, the, the real expression of the, the whole work process and the whole art. I love all that stuff. Speaking yeah. of the feedback, as a person who likes to be near the front, you know, previously cameras weren't allowed in, into concerts. So now we've got these cell phones and everyone's trying to get the perfect image and perfect photo. Do you find that having so many people with their phones out disconnects you from the feedback being on receiving end from your side? Yeah, let me debate this in my head a bit. I think it can it can definitely take away a little bit of are they really there? Yeah. And more importantly, I I prefer I you know there's a certain thing about the moment of a show while it's happening, whatever's going on, it's small mistakes. If you're kind of like doing, uh, you know, making yourself have a double chin in order to get the the guitar solo to sound great. Um, All those moments are just part of it and they're sweaty and it's, you know, it's a it's an intense visceral experience. And then to have that a kind of low quality, weird lighting, weird sound recording of that be stored somewhere for other people to look at or for someone to send me and be like, look, here's the gig. And I'm thinking, oh, no, it's not it's not so fun anymore. I I feel feel more self-conscious about it. I'm not, I'm not enjoying it so much. I, I yeah. don't want to have that experience. I want to just have the memory, which is an imperfect um, thing. I, you know, I want to have done the show um, even as an audience member. It's like, you can really, you can really look at a concert on a video and just say, well, it's whatever. It's just a bunch of people playing some music who cares, yeah. but to be there is a different thing. And I think we should, f- I would prefer if everyone focused more on that. For yeah. sure. You mentioned sometimes but, about potentially making a mistake while you're busy with the show. Obviously, you don't let the audience know. But does that ever go back into that brain of yours of uh, doubt and negativity? If you you know you made somehow a chord mistake or something that was potentially not even recognized by anyone except yourself. And then does yeah. your brain kick into that <laughs> thing of <laughs> getting in your way or do you just push yourself out of that way again? Yeah, no, that usually is okay because it's there's a next time and okay. it's noted. Okay, you need a few, you need your chances to screw up, um, yeah. and it's fine. It's it's okay. You can you can go to the next show with that memory of it's not a B flat minor, man. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it I, I don't see it as a screw up because if you le- if a person's learning from it, how can anything be a screw up? Because then you actually yeah. bettering yourself performing live on a tour yeah. is yes. is very much it's a work in progress each day like each day is different the, the audience acts differently mm-hmm. your body feels different um it's a creative process so it's all it's not really ever ending until you you know until you make the live album and say that that's the one yeah it's it's a continual process so yes so i love this question the recipient recipients of the question don't normally like it <laughs> I know if I ask you this question in two minutes, 20 minutes, two days, two hours, I know that the answer will be different each time. But if I had to ask you in this moment, your top five songs by other artists, what would they be? Okay. Yeah, no, that is the hardest question because it's, it just depends, right? Yeah. But yeah, today, 
So my all-time go-to need to pick me up song is Jungle Boogie, Cool and the Gang. Okay. That will just fix everything straight away. Let's see. Killing in the name of Rage Against the Machine. Yeah. Similar catharsis. After that, it gets tricky. It gets a little <laughs> fuzzy, doesn't it? So just the um, first three that come to mind. Yeah. For some reason, I'm thinking of Hotel California because it's just a song that's very famous. And it's a good song, but it's not, yeah. It's like it does, there's nothing special to me about it. It's just really an amazing piece of work. Yeah. Um, now I've said I'm just going to have to put that in there. The guitars are surprisingly intricate. I never, uh, until I really dug in to try and play it, I was like, ah, whatever. It's just a bunch of Spanish guitar nonsense. Yeah. It's amazing. It's very deep. Um, wait. Uh, okay. Two more. Does this count as a song? Does this count as a song? Um, Gymnopody by Eric Satie. Yeah. Yep. Great. I mean, just the best mellow, mellow core riff of all time. And then we've got one more. <laughs> one more. Okay. Oh my goodness. <clears throat> You're killing me. Um, okay. I'm going to go for the, I'm going to go for this current. This is my kids loved this when they were little home by, uh, the magnetic zeros, Edward Sharp and the magnetic, magnetic zeros. Brilliant. Brilliant. Joe, the podcast is listened to throughout the world as a final message to the listening audience. What would you like to say? I would like to say thank you for listening to me talk about all this nonsense. I hope you listen to my music. Joe Sumner, I make it. Um, And I hope everybody is happy and uh, get out of your own way, please. So as Joe says, get out your own way and signing out with Joe and Sleb Savant. Yeah.